Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. And because we are a nonprofit, I would be remiss if I didn't say while you're at that website, please consider donating to the cause. Animal Wellness Action, our sister organization, the Center for a Humane Economy, this podcast, our lobbyists, our lawyers, all of the people who make our work work need your financial support. So certainly subscribe to our newsletters. There are actions you can take simply by filling in your name, generates a letter to your representatives on many of our issues. Otherwise, if you have a few bucks a month, just hit that donate button. We'll be grateful, and I guarantee you we run a lean, mean machine. Today we are talking about wolves. Gray wolves once roamed across the United States, but by the 1950s, the species was overhunted and so crowded upon by humans that it faced extinction. Then, with the passage of the 1973 Endangered Species Act, tables were turned in the wolves' favor. Numbers rebounded, so much so that by about 2020, 7,500 of the animals were once again restored in terms of population numbers. Sounds like a success story, right? Well, President Trump's U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife deemed gray wolves' recovery so successful that it delisted them and returned management of wolf populations to the states. And you can imagine how well that's going. On the show to talk about the fate of the modern gray wolf is Samantha Brueger. She is the executive director of Washington Wildlife First. She is a lifelong wildlife enthusiast and a career advocate. Her diverse work experience has included a slate of important social issues from equitable access to resources to wildlife policy reform in the nonprofit, private, and government sectors. Her written work on wildlife has been published in the Statesman Journal, the Missoulian, and the Register Guard. However, she's most proud of her collaboratively published resource, Wolf Conservation Planning, a guide for working together using science, inclusivity, and ethical practices. Sam, if, if that sounds familiar, it's because I stole it right from your website. How's that? <laughs> How's that for lazy research? You did a great job with your lazy research. So I think I think you got it all just right. Nailed it on the head. All right. Well, one thing I didn't put in there was that we should ask you about how you used to drive your parents crazy on road trips by playing wolf sounds in the car. Tell us about that. <laughs> so one of my first cassette tapes was after I had symbolically adopted a member of the Sawtooth Pack and they eat, they send you a little package in the mail that included a cassette tape and then pictures of wolves. And the cassette tape was of the wolves howling at night. So unfortunately, my parents got front row seats to the Sawtooth Pack as often as I possibly could listen to them howl. And uh, that was one of my my first forays into wolf advocacy and learning about wolves. And I loved that tape and I, I still love wolves to this day. My daughter played Justin Bieber. I think I would have preferred <laughs> the wolves. 
So, <laughs> Me too. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, no kidding. All right, well, thank you. We'll we'll get back to you in a minute, uh, Sam. Also with us is Paul Collins, the Wisconsin State Director for Animal Wellness Action. Paul is a lifelong animal advocate who was born and raised in Wisconsin. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Disaster and Emergency Management from Upper Iowa University and has worked as a public service for law enforcement and higher education public safety agencies for over two decades. He was in the Army Reserves, has had a lifelong passion for animals, and has been actively advocating them for more than a decade in Wisconsin, especially for wildlife, including wolves. And we can see that Paul is joining us while he's on duty as a law enforcement official. So thank you uh, for taking some time out to to be with us, Paul. I appreciate that. You've been with the organization longer than I have, so it's terrific to have your experience on the show. Jennifer McCausland is our third guest. She is the Senior Vice President for Corporate Policy for the Center for a Humane Economy. As an animal welfare advocate, policy expert, and strategic change leader, Jennifer brings a record of success in driving industry reform, building high-impact coalitions, and shaping new humane policies at the highest levels of business and government. So, Samantha, uh, let's let's go to, go to you first, right? So, you you've been very involved in in your state wolves are a big concern right now what's happening in washington that our listeners need to know about for wolves you know washington is often seen as a beacon of hope really in wolf recovery and wolf management to other states across the country but the unfortunate thing is that washington has its own slate of issues in wolf management that we could be that beacon of hope but we really aren't there yet I think that the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has been really reluctant to enforce what would be the best wolf management policies to really promote species recovery rather than just general management, which is usually management by killing or management to preserve business interests like livestock agencies. And while we've killed less wolves than many other states like our neighboring Idaho, we still only have a tiny population of wolves and that lingers at around 200 wolves. As of last count, it was at 216 wolves. So I would say they've killed 42 uh, state endangered wolves entirely on behalf of the livestock industry. Um, And that's because people you know, grow cows in the forests where wolves can live on public lands and there's natural conflicts there. And rather than take proactive, non-lethal approaches, uh, livestock producers will often request for wolves to be killed and our State Department of Wildlife often complies. So what we've seen is a State Department that will kill wolves for this industry using taxpayer dollars um, to satisfy really uh, an emotional need of the industry that's not scientifically proven and nor is it proven as far as a livestock practice goes. So let, let's set the stage. So right now you said there are about 216 wolves in the state of Washington. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, right. And And how many are killed on an annual basis pursuant to the requests that you just mentioned? So that number varies greatly year by year, and we can get into that a little bit more when we talk about what the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is considering now with the draft periodic status review of gray wolves. But right now that can be anywhere from no wolves to 15 wolves to one year, the Confederated Tribes of the Colville killed 22 wolves through tribal treaty hunting rights. So 
every year that number fluctuates and that has differential impacts on wolf packs, on social structures, and then of course on species recovery. I, I mentioned the gray wolf um, and pardon my my lack of sophisticated knowledge here. Is it only the gray wolf that is in danger? Are there other species of wolves that are impacted by this issue generally? Uh, wolves across the country are impacted by this issue. I, we've got a 10J experimental population, experimental population of Mexican gray wolves that have similar issues in, in the Southwest. Um, gray wolves have been delisted in most of the country or in the Northern Rockies section, I should say, because they've been relisted in the Great Lakes area. We'll have to go through that geography piece by piece in a little bit, Joseph, because it's a little wonky. But uh, so the national listing of wolves varies as does state by state listing. In Washington state itself, wolves are a state endangered species. Washington has its own state endangered species act, which is unique to our state. California also has one. And so does Oregon, but wolves aren't listed as endangered in Oregon either. So what we're looking at in Washington is wolves are state endangered. They are federally listed as endangered species on the Western two thirds of the state, but they are not federally listed as endangered species on the Eastern third of the state. So um, Eastern Washington somehow got segmented in with Idaho as far as looking at population segments of wolves. So that portion of the wolf population is delisted along with the, the populations in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, uh, Colorado now too. But they still get protections from the State Endangered Species Act. Does that make sense? It's all very you know layered as far as uh, how the endangered species protections work for wolves in Washington because there's the federal layer and then there's the state layer. So anywhere in the state, a wolf is considered endangered by the state of Washington. Federally, however, if I'm following you correctly, if it goes a couple of inches too far to the right, it's suddenly not endangered. Is That's that the correct. kind of, okay, all right, okay, very good. What do you want to see happen on the state and the federal level? What needs to happen? Oh, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think that if we go to Washington State, we can start there and then kind of zoom out. With Washington State right now, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is undergoing a periodic status review for gray wolves in the state of Washington. What the department has done and recommended that's especially egregious is to double downlist wolves, to move them not only from endangered to threatened, but endangered to sensitive, which means they would have lose all of their state legal protections on a state level law in the state. They would have some protections as that threatened species, but it would be easier for the department to kill wolves and it would be easier for uh, poachers to get away with killing wolves because it re would reduce uh, the, the fees and fines and legal prosecution associated with poaching wolves. Um, the department has justified this double downlist recommendation based on a study that they paid for by the University of Washington that has a lot of flaws. It has not been independently peer reviewed to date and has said that wolves will not go extinct if we downlist wolves. And that's the bar that they've set, you know, as far as species recovery goes is, will this species go extinct? No, then we can just 
manage, manage however we'd like, which is really absurd because we're not managing for ecosystem health. We're not managing for the most viable, vibrant wolf population we can have. And we do this with species across the board. What the department does is it manages for how many can die or how many can be killed before we implement more protections for them. And every species is managed in such a way that have they met that bar where we could kill a few more? And that's the unfortunate thing about how states manage wildlife. And the Federal Endangered Species Act is, you know, our tool to help us with that. And when we lose protections for species like wolves with that, we've seen what happens. Idaho just passed legislation to kill 60% of its wolf population. And that's because wolves are no longer protected there under the state or under the Federal Endangered Species Act. So um, in Washington, we really believe that wolves need to maintain their endangered status so they enjoy the full uh, protections of the law and so that wolves can recover throughout the state. Uh, wolves really have not met recovery objectives that were identified more than 10 years ago for wolves to recover across the state. Right now, most of Washington's wolves are located in the northeastern corner of the state. Those wolves are having difficulty dispersing for a number of reasons, uh, partially because they'll go up into Canada and there's wolf trapping there, partially because they'll go to Idaho, who's killing 60% of their wolves. Then they have to get south through the Colville, where treaty rights are, are allowing uh, the Colville tribe to hunt wolves. And so we're not seeing that dispersal and movement to all the recovery regions that we need to see wolves in to say, hey, we've got a healthier population now. And there's a lot of barriers in place to get there. And downlisting is really, really premature. And it's pretty tragic when we think about the implications for a species like wolves. And they're so specific and so different than other species. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular piece of legislation you need championed? You know, we're, we call ourselves Animal Wellness Action. Our president is all about that. Uh, I was really surprised when I looked at the numbers, how many of our subscribers are in uh, Washington uh, state. Uh, what can we do to help you? So in Washington, we encourage the public to oppose downlisting through the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Right now they have a public comment portal that's open and the public can submit as many comments as, as they want, tell their friends. That comment portal is open until August 16th. So the public can jump in there and say, we oppose downlisting, wolves should stay endangered in the state. Federally, we need to relist wolves, and that's the bottom line there, and that needs to be nationwide, or they're going to continue to be subjected to these unscientific, politically motivated killing campaigns. We're seeing that start to happen a bit again in Wisconsin um, with Baldwin sponsoring legislation to, to downlist wolves again. So we've got issues, and Paul can talk about that, I'm sure, a bit more too. We've got issues that go beyond Washington on the federal le level that listeners can certainly support and engage in. And while our battle is, is here and it may seem smaller compared to what's going on in other states, we do intend to hold the line here and ensure this doesn't happen. If you'll send us, Sam, the link to that portal, I'll make sure it's included in the show notes uh, to help people make those comments. Um, uh, that would be terrific if you would, uh, if you would do that. Is there any chance we'll see the Biden administration's uh, department Realist wolves is is that a thing? That's a hope. Um, it's a hope that's been alive for a long time. 
I know it's a hope that's alive with Biden's grandchildren, so that's encouraging. Um, it's a hope that's alive with my child, and I really hope for the future of wolves and the future generations of the country that we're able to do this. Um, I think that wolves are really an iconic species, but they have become pretty emblematic of the struggles we're facing as a country. Uh, the New Yorker did a really interesting piece on killing wolves to own the libs and how this can be seen almost as an act of vengeance towards progressive politics that's within the hands of, of more conservative states. And I think that really what we need to do is take a step back from the political piece of this and look at the scientific piece, one, but also look at wolves as a sentient species that have social structures, that are individuals, that have the ability to take care of each other. They found wolves that had jaws broken, that healed on their own. And the only way that possibly could have happened was because pack members were bringing that wolf food. We've also had wolves where a mate has been killed and a wolf has gone pregnant and given birth under the tree that the mate was killed just to be close to his smell. We know that wolves are doing this to take care of each other. We know that they are, are thinking in ways that are unique to who they are as creatures. And it's just really important that the country and each of our states works to recognize that aside from politics. Yeah. You mentioned before I go to Paul, uh, and thank you, Paul and Jennifer, for standing by while we go through this because it's fascinating information. But you mentioned, you know, the impact on the ecosystem, right? So it's easy to perhaps vilify a wolf if you're a, you know, a rancher or if you have some sort of interest in, in not having a predator out there. But when we hurt wolves, what else is hurt? Oh, we, we heard a lot of everything. And in reality, too, just to hit that misconception right off the bat, wolves are only responsible for killing less than 2% of cattle that are killed by predators, by carnivores writ large. So it may disproportionately affect different ranches. I think that there are resources for those ranches. But what we do know is that wolves are have cascading impacts on ecosystems, meaning that Everything that wolves do has an ecosystem service. Um, and we saw this with Yellowstone, which is, I think, the most famous example where when wolves were reintroduced, ungulate behavior changed. So our elk, our deer, they stopped just hanging out by the water because suddenly there was a natural predator in the area. That meant that reeds could grow back. That meant that beaver could establish dams. That meant that the water quality actually improved. And I'm really excited to see this happen in Colorado, where there are a lot of water quality issues. I think that wolves would be very helpful with that. That's one ecosystem service they do. The other is that they are targeting sick, injured, and older animals that hunters don't target. So if we think about our, our typical hunter that's going out in the woods, they're looking for the biggest animal they can kill. Wolves don't do that. Wolves are, are taking the vulnerable species. They're making calculated assessments before they hunt. They're more unsuccessful at hunting than they are successful. So they'll often start a hunt and not be able to finish it because it was too much to take on and they, they weigh that risk. But they do a service called, so it's a carnivore cleansing effect um, that's being researched a lot more now by, uh, by scientists in the field. And so diseases that we see prevalent across the West, like chronic wasting disease, where elk get a pathogen within their brain, they'll wander in circles and then ultimately die um, because they don't they don't eat, they drink them, they drink water um, until they die. That 
wolves have, they've started to see that wolves are selecting those animals to eat and kill before anyone even knows they have the disease, before they show any symptoms of that disease. And that means that that animal is no longer spreading the disease throughout the herd and it keeps herds healthier. And we see that with all of our ungulate herds. If you really care about deer and if you really care about elk, then you should care about wolves because they're taking care of those herds and making sure they stay healthy and robust and active for all of us. Um, so that's something else that they do that I think is really interesting. And the ability to, to select that way for sickness is, is pretty fascinating once you dig into it a bit more. What a vivid reminder that all of nature is the spider web where plucking one tiny strand impacts all the others in ways that are, are not immediately apparent. Uh, you mentioned that wolves kill about 2%. Uh, what's killing the other 98%? The hell's out there killing out 98% of these animals, Sam? <laughs> I'm not going to lay blame on, on other, uh, other carnivores, but what we can say is that aside from predation, which again is a tiny percentage of how uh, animals die, most cows are dying from weather, so exposure, and that means that people that are breeding cows for their business are leaving cows out in harsh harsh conditions that they cannot survive. So they're dying out in, in exposure. The other way they die is through childbirth or, or cow birth, uh, calf, calving season. Through natural complications of calving, um, we'll see cows die that way and calves also die that way. And so that's our, our other big killer of, of livestock. Uh, carnivores are way down there at the bottom of the list. Um, disease is another one that will will take out livestock. I think that the the problem for carnivores is that they're an easy scapegoat and they're an easy way for a livestock producer to say, this is my problem, not what I'm doing. And I think that within self-reflection, you know, you can do a lot of things that are proactive one of my best friends raises sheep and she's never lost a single sheep. And we live in full coyote, mountain lion, you know, carnivore country. She's never lost a single sheep. She has livestock guardian dogs. She has livestock guardian donkeys out with the sheep that do a great job. She's got electric fencing. They keep the sheep close to how their, their home. And it's, they've never suffered a loss. And so when you see people that are doing it right, and aren't suffering these losses, it makes it a lot harder to understand folks that that just don't care, that just want the wolves gone. And that's just not realistic for anybody. Yeah. Guard donkey. I want a guard donkey. <laughs> that's a new thing. Jennifer, that's a new business model for us, selling guard donkeys across the United States. Thank you, Sam. I, I, I appreciate that. Paul, let's go to you now. Thank you. Uh, because you fought the good fight for a long time as well, but in a different part of, of the country. Give us a little bit of wolf background from the state of Wisconsin, if you would, please. Where are things now? Where do you want them to go? Well, we're kind of current, we're ground zero, basically, in terms of the Great Lakes population of wolves outside of the Northern Rockies. We are kind of, not kind of, we are the most hostile state toward wolves and predators in general. Um, I've been a part of this movement, um, specifically focusing on the wolf issue for well over a decade. And initially back in 2011, the Obama administration removed protections for wolves in the Northern Great Lakes. And of course, immediately the Wisconsin legislature passed a law 
Um, it's known as Act 169 that mandates a wolf hunting season when they are not listed under Endangered Species Act protections nationally. So what happened was in 2012, 2013, and 2014, Wisconsin held hunting seasons. And in each of those hunting seasons, they went over the allotted quota, sometimes by a couple, sometimes by half a dozen, sometimes a dozen. Uh, well, at the end of 2014, what happened was is a federal judge ruled in favor of the people challenging that delisting. So what happened was is um, the federal judge placed them back under protections. So from 2014 until the end of 2021, wolves were protected federally. So there were no hunting seasons. It allowed our population to rebound, so on and so forth. In November of 2021, the Trump administration announced that they were going to delist the gray wolf across the entire um, lower 48, with the exception of the Mexican gray wolf, which is a separate species. So, of course, that was right before the 2020, uh, the infamous 2020 election, and um, the delisting went through. And um, here in Wisconsin, our Department of Natural Resources. Uh, planned to hold a wolf hunt in the fall of 2021. They did not want to have one immediately, as so many were clamoring for. Well, a special interest group known as Hunter Nation that has Ted Nugent as one of their spokespeople and various other dark money affiliations took it to court in southeastern Wisconsin, where we, we don't have any wolves. So in southeastern Wisconsin, since we don't have any wolves, it still went before a judge who just happened to be a very um, avid hunter. Well, he decided that um, the state law, Act 169, stated that it's mandatory for us to hold a wolf hunt. So he ordered a wolf hunt to start immediately, and within two weeks of that decision, they started a wolf hunt in February of 2021. They were given a quota of 119 wolves. Well, it turned out, a little over 48 hours later, they had killed at least 218 wolves. It was just a total travesty. I mean, they were using snowmobiles to chase after wolves, which is illegal. Of course, the, the vast majority were killed with the aid of hounds, which makes Wisconsin a major outlier. And I know from a very good source that um, there were some necropsies done um, afterwards by um, some tribal interests in the state. Um, I can't divulge the specifics, unfortunately, because they have not released that yet, but there was clear evidence of animal fighting where the dogs actually mauled the wolves. And just horrifying. So what happened was is the DNR admitted no wrong as usual. They acted like it was held perfectly and it was just, a, oh, well, you know, a few extra were killed, end of story. Well, what happened then was, is that's how I became affiliated with Animal Wellness Action, is I was working with a state organization and became part of a call that Wayne and others were on. So um, I eventually became the state director for Animal Wellness Action, and we started working on a potential lawsuit to stop the upcoming fall season that they plan to have. Wisconsin not only killed 218 wolves in February in a little over 48 hours, they wanted to kill another 300 or more in the fall. So, of course, you know, we were looking at every option possible to try and stop it. And um, Friends of the Wisconsin Wolf and Wildlife Project Coyote and Animal Wellness Action, uh, we all got together um, with some very talented lawyers um, 
um, Jessica Blome and Claire Davis. Um, they're very well known in the animal advocacy community. They worked with us and um, they challenged the Wisconsin law and the rules behind the wolf hunt that um, the law itself stated that the state was required to come up with a new management plan and create new rules for the for the hunting season. Well, we use their own words against them. I mean, this is something that um, we weren't sure if it was going to work, but um, we used their own rules against them. They did not have a new management plan in place. They did not develop one. They halted work on that in 2014 after wolves were placed back on the endangered species list. And they were using the same emergency rules from 2012 for the wolf hunting season that they just had. So what we did is we said, well, there's no management plan. There's no new rules. So they're in clear violation of their own law that mandates a hunting season. And the judge agreed. I mean, we weren't sure he was going to agree or if it was going to happen, but he flat out agreed. He put an injunction in place. He stopped the wolf hunting season in the fall until the Wisconsin DNR could create a new management plan and invoke new rules for the hunting season. So part of this was obviously we, we, we do not support wolf hunting in any way, shape, or form, but we did this in order to buy time because there was a case before the federal courts with some other organizations filed to challenge the Trump administration delisting. So we were hoping to run out the clock, essentially. Well, the state of Wisconsin did not appeal our judge's ruling. And um, in February of 2022, the federal judge ruled that, indeed, the Fish and Wild U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had improperly delisted wolves, and they placed them nationwide, with the exception of the Northern Rockies, back on the endangered species list. Well, since then, of course, there's been the usual politicians that are trying to forcefully remove them via congressional act. Um, we have are um, two senators that consistently have put forth legislation to try and remove the gray wolf from federal protections. And several of our um, GOP representatives in the state have been trying to do the same thing. Most recently, Senator Baldwin came out with a proposal that would downlist the gray wolf from endangered to threatened, which we don't necessarily have an issue with. The problem is in the legislation, it again, mandates another delisting. It mandates the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to remove the gray wolf in the northern Great Lakes from the endangered species list. So again, if that happens, we're going to be right back to where we were before. Wisconsin has made some improvements. They are working on a management plan that does not have a specific population number in mind, which is enormous. Basically, what's going on right now is they're trying to put rules in place. So Wisconsin in the northern part of the state has a very strong hound hunting community, and they were the main organization, the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association, that wrote and pushed the legislation to mandate hunting seasons in Wisconsin when wolves aren't protected. So as of right now, if we did not have federal protections in place for the gray wolf, they could train their hounds against wolves 24-7, 365. They could use dogs anytime, any place against the gray wolf and just say it's training, even though they they it's it's just basically legalized harassment and fighting. So um, they're trying to put some rules in place for that. It's unfortunately they're getting a lot of pushback as usual. 
But in terms of what we're trying to do is we're trying to eventually we hope to overturn that provision in the law. That's not going to be easy, but that's something we definitely want to overturn. Because part of the problem is, is with the rampant use of hounds, they use those same dogs against bears, coyotes, everything else, which is not, we don't agree with either. But if one of the, when they're going after one of these other animals, if a wolf happens to kill one of those dogs, the state pays out $2,500 to each for each dead hound. Or if the hounder is actually decent enough to take their dog to the vet, there's no limitation on how much the taxpayer will pay out to the veterinary office to help with the injuries on those dogs. It's just, so it's if I, let me, let me, yeah, let me, let me catch up with you here. So I, I'm a hounder in Wisconsin and I take my dog out to hunt wolves and that dog is injured. The state has to pay for the repair of that dog. If and if it the, goes to a vet, it, it's limitless. If, if it's, there is a provision where they cannot, they can claim they're going against something else. So if they're going, they because mm -hmm. Wisconsin allows hounding on everything. I mean, believe it or not, they even allow hounds to be used against turkeys. Turkeys. I mean, it's just it's absolute insanity. Crazy. Just have to say that. Oh well, I wasn't out going after wolves. I was going after coyotes. I was going after bobcats. I was training my dog. Oh, I see. Go after squirrels. I see. So, and then if a wolf happens to kill one of their dogs, we the taxpayer are giving them twenty five hundred dollars for each dead dog. So, Paul, Animal Wellness Action, what can our listeners do to support your, your work? Do you have any particular legislation? Do you have anything analogous to uh, a comment line? Well, I think that um, if there's any traction made on any of the legislation that is currently before Congress, whether it's um, Senator Baldwin's forced delisting, um, whether it's um, Senator Johnson's even more nefarious one, which strips protections across the country again. And there's a similar bill to that in the in the House. Um, if any of those gain any traction, absolutely contact your senators, contact your representatives, not your state level ones, your federal ones, and let them know that this is absurd. Congress should not be sticking their nose in the Endangered Species Act. I, I, the Endangered Species Act, unfortunately, for me has become... It's almost like a farm team, like you would say in sports, like for baseball or something. It's like we build a species back up and then we give them to the states and then the states immediately start killing them off to token numbers. That is not what the intent of the Endangered Species Act was. But that's what they've done with wolves. That's what they want to do with grizzlies. It's very, very concerning. So I refer to that as pretty much sustainable extinction. Because they will drag this out as long as they can by keeping a token number, but they're going to get that token number down to as low as possible. Just and it's they're going to do it because their clientele, the hunters, trappers, hounders, ranchers, they do not want to have any competition at all, and they view wolves or any other predators as competition. And unfortunately, the federal government has not upheld what they should when it comes to the Endangered Species Act without being told to do so by the courts. All right. Well, uh, Paul, and I'll make this invitation to Sam. If anything happens in either of your states, 
or is applicable nationally regarding this topic, let us know and uh, we will email our supporters. We get great response from the people who subscribe to our news alerts by taking action. So I hope both of you will keep us apprised so that we can communicate very directly uh, with the, the many thousands upon thousands of people we have in our database. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for, for joining it, uh, the show. I'm hoping you can kind of give an overarching perspective uh, as a representative of our national organizations on this wolf issue. I know you uh, reside sometimes in Washington and you're very involved in a campaign there uh, to help save uh, the orca uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest. But talk about wolves today, please. Yes, Joseph, I'm not at all surprised to hear you say that we have a lot of support in the state of Washington, because three years ago, between Wayne Baselli and myself, we got together with the Center for Humane Economy, Animal Wellness Action, and created a very spontaneous campaign to help save the wolves. Um, we were uh, in a group one night listening, um, talking about the wolves, talking about the fact that the government here kept shooting the wolves with, air, it seemed to be with every request that a farmer, a rancher in Eastern Washington made to take out a pack or several members of a pack, the Washington Fish and Wildlife um, Department went up with helicopters and shot those wolves. <clears throat> so, this group of people decided that enough was enough. Wayne became part of that group. And what we did within two weeks, we um, paid for and put an ad in the Sunday um, Seattle Times paper asking the government and specifically the governor to stop shooting the wolves. It was a very direct approach. He was running for president that year. And we knew that he would react very um, quickly to this campaign that we... So after three of these ads that we put in the paper, Sunday paper, the governor called a meeting with the Fish and Wildlife Department and told them to institute a moratorium right then and there on shooting the wolves until the whole policy and criteria that they had already established um, was was re-looked at. And it was, then there was a, a coalition group that was already established that um, with the center um, and the governor then developed a new criteria for shooting the wolves in response to um, predations uh, um, with cattle. So that has been in place now for the last three years and that is what that same agency is now trying to roll back, which we don't want to have happen. Coincidentally, next week, there's a meeting here of that this same agency in Seattle for the first time. And Sam and myself, to a lesser extent, will be involved in that on the wolf issue as representatives of the of CHE. So uh, during that campaign, we managed to um, attract a lot of support from the residents of Washington, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they have stayed in support of CHE and AWA. Uh, briefly, because we're going to be talking about it next week, our most recent campaign is, it's a very 
It's a different style of campaign that we usually launch. Um, it's a direct-to-consumer education and appeal to educate consumers that <clears throat> the same salmon that our southern resident orcas, who are very endangered, um, eat is called Chinook salmon, but it's called in the stores King salmon, which is the most desirable of salmon in the stores and is currently running this season. Uh, their spring season is currently running. So we've gone directly to consumers. We've cut out the middlemen with the request and said, please don't eat the king salmon. Choose something else um, and leave that salmon for the orcas. We've been, the campaign's been going for the last month. We've had lots and lots of positive feedback, thousands of visits to our website with uh, requesting information. We've had a little bit of pushback from the recreational salmon fishermen, but beyond that, um, the response has been very good. And anecdotally, anyone who said, I had no idea that the Chinook that the orcas eat is the same as the king salmon that we buy in the stores, and now I will stop buying king salmon. Uh, that has been profound, that information back to us. We won't know the true outcomes until um, at the end of the second fishing season when we get a response from the, the grocery stores. We have been able to recruit nine different um, restaurants who have agreed to stop serving king salmon on their menu. So um, we're very pleased with that, but we've got a lot more restaurants to go. And of course, next step is the grocery stores. Good. All right. Well, well, thank you, Jennifer. And I know uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the show about um, orcas. And thank you also for your involvement in Washington relative to wolves. Uh, Samantha, I'll turn it back to you for final thoughts. Yeah, I would. I would just echo what what Jennifer said about the commission is meeting in Seattle next week. And that is for the first time in over 25 years that the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission will be meeting in the state's population center. And so we certainly hope that if anyone's in Washington, if for all of our Seattle um, supporters that show up for this meeting, it's next Thursday and Friday of next week. They will be discussing wolves on Thursday. And it's just so important that we show the commission and the state that this topic matters to us. And then if you're unable to attend the meeting, please submit public comments opposing downlisting um, through WDFW's website. They'll have instructions online um, on how to submit those comments. And there's there will definitely be a toolkit available on Washington Wildlife First website to submit comments and, and help people with talking points. Uh, last plug is if you are in a state that is not Washington, uh, we worked with a bunch of nonprofit organizations to create a guide to state wolf planning for advocates and for uh, state wildlife agencies that are interested in engaging in the issue and, and looking at it holistically. And that guide lives on wolfplanning.org and it provides talking points for advocates, best practices in, in wolf management, the best available science. Um, it's been reviewed by scientists from across the country for input, and um, it's a great resource for both advocates and agency professionals alike. 
All right, good. And we'll put links to that in the show notes uh, as well. So uh, we're, we're running out of time. So let me say thank you to our guests, Samantha Brueger, uh, Paul Collins, and Jennifer McCausland. I really do appreciate your being here. Uh, wolves are fascinating animals. I, I can't think of a more iconic symbol, except for perhaps the wild horse of America than the wolf. And it's tragic what's happening to them. And Paul, I probably am going to take away from this this conversation this concept that really the weaponization of these uh, endangered designations merely to give the populations time to regrow so they can be hunted again uh, in a perpetuating cycle of violence. So that was really informative to me. So I want to thank them, and I certainly want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, we do appreciate your tuning into the show. Uh, you can find us again on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. We're putting all of our shows up there as videos, so you can watch or listen. And um, we invite you to go to animalwellnessaction.org to subscribe. Jennifer represents the Center for a Humane Economy. Org. One of the groups, the first, is a 501c4. We focus a lot on political activity. Jennifer's side of the aisle, she focuses a lot on influencing uh, businesses, as she mentioned, for example, getting restaurants to stop um, serving the king salmon. Uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Action. I've been your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.